Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. And it clicked at that moment that some people are designed to fill out spreadsheets, but a lot of other people are designed to know what spreadsheets should be filled out. And so that was the first step in me realizing that what I considered imposter syndrome, what I considered my biggest failure, was actually possibly a superpower. Possibly it was knowing the right thing to do. And that if I, instead of judging myself for being unable to finish things, if I could surround myself with people who were good at finishing the things that I could start, I might be able to build a bigger team that would elevate both of us. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Manish, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. I'm so excited. Yeah. Well, it is very cool to have you here. You know, so I uh, had a chance to meet you several years ago and I've gotten to kind of witness the evolution of your story and it's been uh, fascinating to to watch. Uh, so I want to start with a question that I think is very relevant and I'm, I'm pretty sure nobody has ever asked you, but I'm very curious to see how you'll answer this. Uh, what birth order were you and what impact has that had on the choices that you've made with your life and your career? Oh, have I thought about that a lot in my life? Okay, I'm the fourth in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I have an older sister. Her name is Nagina. Uh, she's 10 years older than I am. Then I have an, another sister who's nine years older, Ruchita. And I'm my brother, Ramit Sethi, who I think you probably know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I will teach you to be rich. He's five years older than I am. And then there's me, the youngest. And it's had a massive, obviously clear impact on my behavior. Um, when I was a kid, I was heavily ADD, and I didn't really care about stuff. And then I saw my sister get into a good college. Mm-hmm. She got into Berkeley. And I think that kind of uh, became a waterfall down our entire sibling uh, ship. Yeah. Whereas the next sister got also got into Berkeley, and then my brother was like, "Well, I'm going to get into Stanford." And I always looked up to Ramit like a god, uh-huh. and so I was like, "Well, I'm going to get into Stanford too." And so um, you could see it very clearly because as I got to school, as I got to Stanford, it was like I were I worked in the same labs, I lived in the same dorms, I had the same majors in a lot of ways, but we approached problems in a slightly different fashion. Uh-huh. And I would say that it had a massive impact on who I became. Uh-huh. Um- did you ever feel a, a sense of, of competition or inferiority or, or challenges with, you know, having such accomplished siblings? Because I think that, you know, that's an Im- immense amount of pressure. Yeah, I had um, a massive amount of imposter syndrome growing up still till today, but at least now I know it's not real. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I mean, growing up, my brother was the perfect kid in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was like the, the he was always clean and neat. And my mom is an Indian mom. And she likes things being clean and neat and done. And, uh, and so she loved, she was, you know, he was the perfect kid. And then my mom was like always joking about how I was like, 
the, my, my oldest sister was the crazy person. And then my brother was the perfect one. And then like, I came back and started the cycle all over again. And so it led to like a lot of, of, um, self destructive thoughts. Uh-huh. And as I, as I got like, so I started off like uh, telling my story, like, uh, it's like uh, one of the worst things that happened is that I, I, I ended up being fairly successful as a young kid. So like when I was 13, I, when I was 12, I wanted to make video games. I posted in this my hero's forum about could I sometime write a book? He was an editor for a book series on video game making. And I was like, maybe someday when I get older, I could write a book on game programming for kids or something. Mm-hmm. And he replied back saying, you're too dumb, you're too stupid, and you're too young. I'll never hire anybody younger than 25. <laughs> and this guy was like maybe so mad that I spent the next four days I grabbed uh, uh, basically four days I wrote 80 pages of a programming book and I sent it above his head and pretended to be an adult and got a book deal <laughs> and it was a funny it's crazy because it's called game programming for teens uh-huh. um, the first 80 pages took me four days and the next 120 pages took me like two years because uh, the drive was done. But what was crazy is that I had this like internal drive when there was a challenge in front of me. But as soon as the ch- like, as soon as the story was cool, as soon as the book deal was done, then I have I lost the drive to finish the book. If that makes sense. Uh-huh. And and um, that led to this like so finally the book is done. Of course, like a year late, and the book ended up being a bestseller. It was an international bestseller in like a bunch of countries, including the U.S. It became translated and was a. a um, a programming textbook in Poland and I couldn't even program barely nothing outside of the book I'd ever programmed and it led to this like jo- I, had a t- I got a TV show on tech TV and people were coming to me for advice on making games when I was 16 uh-huh. and it led to this like massive imposter syndrome where I'm like how the hell am I getting to be successful and people regard me as successful but then I'm actually internally an idiot right uh-huh. um so then I get to, and I started to judge my own metrics, my own value of worth is me saying I'm gonna do something and being able to stick to that goal, me finishing something that I start. Uh, and I'm so, so, I'm in the 90th percentile for ADHD. And so I was never able to do that, but other people would come to me for advice. And that was pretty heartbreaking. So long story short, it led to a massive amount of imposter syndrome. Ramit was like the ability, he gave me the ability to kind of he gave me my interests in psychology and marketing and online sales and writing, but um, his method of approaching problems is very different. And so as I tried to be him, I started to realize that I was very different from him as I went through college. Uh, and I dropped out of Stanford. I, was just, I studied at Stanford. He did too. Mm-hmm. And um, I left to travel and start a blog. Uh, and that's kind of the, the beginning. That blog became the beginning of what I currently do, which is Pavlock, the wearable device that helps you change your habits. Yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get from you know from how you get to the blog to that. Um, mm-hmm. How did you how did you at least resolve or at least you know how did you attempt to resolve the the uh, imposter complex? Like, what did you do about it to to or how do you manage it even if you're still dealing with it today? Um, I'll tell. I mean, I, in order to tell that story, I have to tell you about how I got to Pavlock because mm-hmm. um, it happened after I started Pavlock. Um, so is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So what happened is I started a blog as a, I was studying abroad, I was studying abroad in, um, in Europe and with Stanford. And, um, I found out that you could just leave for up to two years and they would just accept you back. And so I decided to take a leave of absence and I started a blog where I, it was a travel blog called hack the system, uh, cheat codes for life. Mm-hmm. And basically people would, my readers would vote on which country I would move to and what I would do in each country. And I started to travel around the world. It was like five years, essentially. I moved to like 
Italy, Spain, Argentina, Brazil, India, Mexico, whatever, Colombia. And um, in each city, I would do a new project. And what I found was that my own internal metric, again, of success, my external metric was very different. My internal metric was, did I go to the gym twice a week and did I write two articles a week? And in about five years, I hit that goal maybe twice. Mm -hmm. And I had nothing else to do. But then every single time I would write a blog post, it would go viral. Like one out of five would Mm -hmm. go viral. And I would get like, you know, at least 200 leads per average blog post. And then people would pay me for advice on how to get PR and stuff. And I'm like, I don't, I can't even write an article. So what happened was, uh, I started doing a series on trying to improve my productivity. And I hired this girl whose job was to follow me around. And every time I stopped writing and wasted time, she would just slap me in the face. (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I posted that article online and it became this insane sensation. Um, It was in, you know, I was in uh, NPR. I was on Anderson Cooper. I was like in a hundred different news sources over three days. I was really famous for about three days. Uh And um, so I was like, oh, hey, that's cool. How do I get this to become like a, a secondary big, big idea. How do I double this up? I'm like, wait, what if I make a dog collar that can just zap me every time I go on Facebook? Uh-huh. And I, and my friend is like, let's go to Radio Shack. Let's make it. So we, we made this like little broken hack together dog shot collar that zapped me when I went on Facebook to like five hours and a lot of drugs. And, um, and then I was about to post the video and I said to myself, this is really interesting. There's a million wearables out there that track what I do. This one is changing what I do. Maybe this should be a company. Uh-huh. So like a, like a standard entrepreneur, I'm like, let's do it. Let's make it happen. And then you met me right around, right around this time. I'm not sure if you met me right before, right after I had this imposter syndrome breakthrough. Yeah. Um, so what happened is hardware is really, really hard. And very, very quickly, I ran out of money. And very, very quickly, I was about to die. And I was like trying to figure out a way to survive. So I started asking a bunch of friends if they could invest a little bit in my company. Uh-huh. And one person in particular, James Swanick, he said, sure. He's like, hey, um, I'll give you 10K to invest in your company. All I want to do is just, can you send me over like a quick one pager, just a quick description of what you need uh, and what you're doing and I'll, I'll get you the money as soon as I can. So I was like, yeah, sure. I have a four hour train ride today and there's no problem. I'll, I'll do that right away. So I get on a train and four hours later, I have not even opened up Microsoft Word. And that was a hard feeling because it was like, what the hell am I doing? And I said, I'm not going to go to sleep until I finish this project. So what happened is it's now like 9 a.m. I've been up all night. I've written maybe 20 words and I have a GIF. (laughs) And I'm so stressed because this isn't like college where I can blame it on me not caring or it's going to be hard or I'll never get rewarded for this. It's like guaranteed $10,000. All I have to do is write like maybe 200 words. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And last ditch effort, I pulled out a video camera, my phone, and I recorded like a minute of me saying what I wanted to say into the camera. And this kid from Tufts, a kid from the university asked to intern a couple days earlier. So I said, hey, why don't you do this? Write this video into a, into a post. And like an hour later, he sent me back what was the final draft for what I sent to James. And it clicked at that moment that some people are designed to fill out spreadsheets. But a lot of other people are designed to know what spreadsheets should be filled out. And so that was the first step in me realizing that what I considered imposter syndrome, what I considered my biggest failure, was actually possibly a superpower. Possibly it was knowing the right thing to do. And that if I, instead of judging myself for being unable to finish things, if I could surround myself with people who were good at finishing the things that I could start, I might be able to build a bigger team that would elevate both of us. Hmm. So that was step one. 
Um, and then step two was, uh, do, you know, do you know Derek Halpern? Yeah. So Derek uh, was a close friend of mine, also an investor in Pavlock, but this is before he invested. And um, he recommended this book for hiring teams. It was called The Art of Speed Reading People. It was about how do you identify other people's Myers-Briggs personality type and how do you utilize that information to change the way that you talk to them. And so I read this book. And the first thing, the biggest thing I got out of it was figuring out my type, figuring out that and, and the difference between my type and my brother's type. And um, I don't know, a lot of people don't, like, they instantly turn off and think it's like astrology. Um, my answer is always like, Myers-Briggs is just a model. If you throw the answers to four questions against a wall and you draw, six, you draw boxes, you know, you're gonna get 16 boxes. Some people will be in the center, some people will be in the corner. And it's not a perfect, like obviously there's more than just 16 people, but what it gives you is a model of people similar to you who you can learn from and understand a little bit more about who you might be. And I discovered that I and Ramif were extremely close. Um, my personality type is the ENTP. His personality type is the ENTJ. Just one letter of difference. So both of us are E's. We're both extroverted. We both gain energy by talking to other people. We're both uh, intuitives, which means we like to think about big ideas and projects and we think abstractly. We don't think about the past or gossip or the here and now. We're both thinkers, which means we make our decisions based on what's right, rational, and just, not always on how other people will feel. Mm -hmm. And lastly, the one thing that was different is that he's a, per he's a judger and I'm a perceiver. Perceivers are starters and they feel uncomfortable finishing a task. Whereas judgers are finishers. They feel uncomfortable starting something new until they finish the first thing that they said they would finish. Mm -hmm. That one letter led to a massive, massive, massive difference. So massive that in a study by Time Magazine, they found that if you look at the average salaries mapped out against personality types, my type is the second lowest personality type, just under nurses, mm -hmm. and uh, second, second lowest salary earning of all types. Whereas his is like 1.5x higher than the number two. It's the entire opposite scale of, um, of monetary growth. Mm -hmm. And that led to a breakthrough understanding that maybe I'm not broken, maybe my strengths are suited for something that's different than his. The big thing about, the big difference between us is that his type is, an, uh, is like the executive type. It's the Tim Cook. It's the guy who's given a plan and given a project and given one dependent variable and they will execute and craft a perfect plan to achieve that goal and they will assign the tasks to the proper people to make sure that that task gets done properly and well done. That's my brother's type. That's also like the king of all types in American society. Mm -hmm. um, my type is the inventor type. It's the Steve Jobs type. It's the guy who has big ideas, who's like, we should start all these ideas. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's fix things that aren't broken. And it's like, you put the two together and it's like, hey, we should go to space. All right, Richard Branson, like, let's take a break and start with like a regular plane and maybe like in 20 years we'll talk about space. It's the combination of Tim Cook and Steve Jobs. It's the combination of, of uh, Edison and Tesla that was able to make these big, big idea projects become actually executed and finished. Mm -hmm. And so that was my biggest breakthrough that as a person who feels he's like uncomfortable finishing stuff, I'm not supposed to finish stuff. I'm supposed to surround myself with people who want to have something to finish. And that led to my, my big breakthrough on imposter syndrome. Wow. Um, you know, one of the things that's really interesting is, is you know, this idea of success at such, such a young age. And I'm curious how you uh, didn't, you know, rest on your laurels. 
um, you know, how did you make sure that you didn't lose your motivation just because you've had this success? Because I, I think that's one of the big dangers. I didn't have success. I hated myself. That's the reason. Because yeah. I hated myself. I couldn't get myself. I was a liar. I was an imposter. I was a fraud. That's why. It's because, like, everything was about, like, that. Well, first of all, that was, like, a part. Number one, I didn't think of myself as successful. I never, ever, I still think of myself as the dumbest person in my company. Um, but secondly, uh, it's also because I have no capability, or I, I mean, I'm not good at, at, at um, resting on my laurels. Like, I can't even imagine what that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm always distracted by shiny objects or the cool new thing that I could or should be doing. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I think that I, and I know ENTPs in general, absorb information really well. Like, when we're in new societies, like, I learned languages in three months. I, little, uh, I speak five languages. And, like, you absorb information extremely quickly. And in particular, um, I'm very able to connect dots across different uh, categories of creativity. Mm-hmm. I believe that, uh, I believe that very heavily. And the science actually shows that creativity is by definition, the opposite of focus. And if that's something interesting to you, I'd love to talk about that a a little later on. But um, your question was focused on why did I not rest on my laurels? And my answer is I couldn't rest on my laurels because I I couldn't. I had to get distracted. But, But laurels are a weird thing to say because I don't think that there is, like if I had made a lot of money, like it's like I used to work with Tim Ferriss. I lived with Tim Ferriss while during the four hour chef, I was his right hand man to the launch. And people would always ask, so like, does he actually work four hours a week? And I'm like, dude, what is he going to do for the rest of the weeks, the rest of the hours? Is he just going to like look at wall, right? Like, is he going to go just like sit there? Like, you know how boring it gets to like, I, I was, I broke through passive income at like 21. I made my first viral video. Um, that was like me. Um, basically, I, I spent less. I moved to India and I figured out how to do an AdSense business that would create automated passive income. And it was so boring because I had nothing to do, right? It's like the kind of person who's able to develop an automated or passive income business is the kind of person who will not be satisfied by a passive income business, uh-huh. if that makes sense. Yeah. And so I, there was no choice. Yeah. Yeah, it totally does. Um, I'm curious what impact uh, watching your brother sort of rise to the level of success that he did um, had on you, uh, you know, because I know you talked about it in childhood. I'm curious, like, as you guys have gotten older, uh, what impact has that had on you? And, uh, you know, I think you and I kind of talked about this when, when I met you in person. Uh, do you ever feel that you're like living in a shadow at moments? Because I, I noticed a question the other uh, that you'd put on Facebook about email open rates. And I was like, why wouldn't you just ask your brother? Apparently his are off the charts. Um, you know, like I'm assuming he doesn't listen to this podcast, so <laughs> I'll talk, I'll say this. Um, have you ever read the book, um, pitch anything? Yeah. I, I know of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, he talks about like frame control and how there's always a frame that individuals have when they meet each other. And there's like a coach and a client frame, or there's like an investor investee frame. Yeah. And that when two people interact, that frame, is created in minds and melds and creates kind of who you, how your relationship will be for a long time. Uh-huh. And it's very hard to get out of that frame. Um, you familiar with that concept? Yeah. So forever, my brother has been my, um, my mentor, my, like he is the teacher and I'm the learner frame. Uh-huh. And, uh, and that has been, a, that was a very good relationship for us. So, you know, he invested a lot of money in my company. He helped me out a lot. Um, he gave me a ton of advice uh, I would ask him, he was the one guy who I would ask every question to when I wasn't sure. Uh-huh. Um, and so starting off at Hack the System, he was, you know, a big mentor. He never ever, like one time I asked him if I could write a guest post on the site and he's like, 
ask Tim Ferriss, you've got a better chance. <laughs> he, he treats us as a kid, as like all the students and like he treats the whole family as, um, if you don't do it or pay for it, you won't get the value out of it, which I think is true to an extent, but also, you know, sometimes it's not. Um, but in that same sense, it's like he would be the heart. Like when I was making decks for pitching to investors, he was the one asking the hardest questions, right? He was trying to give me the questions that he thought I needed to know for myself. So that became a very powerful and very helpful. Um, he became a very, very, very helpful person. Uh, what you know, not just questions like email rates, but like questions about like how should I hire? Um, what roles do I need? Um, but then, like over time, especially at my company, um, it became kind of strange. Because I'd start to ask questions, I'd start to talk. Like I like talking, and I don't always come to you. You know, if I talk to you, I'm not always asking you a question. Sometimes I'm just chatting. You know, uh-huh. um, and I would talk about something we're doing, and he would start giving me advice. And it was impossible for us to break out of that frame, or at least I mean, I, I don't know. It led to like um, just confusion and problems uh-huh. because I see the world in a different way. So specifically, one thing that was making me like confused was like. I started talking about our supply chain issues and how we had this like inventory uh, problem. And I really started giving me advice on how to fix the inventory problem. And I'm like, dude, like in my mind, I've never said this, but I'm like, dude, like you have no idea how inventory businesses work. Like it's a totally different game. Like we're not talking about a digital product that's auto fulfilled. We're talking about, you know, 84 components for like 14 suppliers and making sure that we're paying the right people at the right time with like net 30 to net 90 terms. Um, if you're giving me advice that doesn't make sense at this moment, but this frame is already created. Mm-hmm. And I started to notice that like we, if we started talking about business, we would just clash heads and it wasn't like I was talking about it for advice or wanted to clash heads. It just was how a conversation would go. Mm-hmm. So I stopped really talking to him about, um, stopped really talking about business, uh, as I started to grow in the last couple of years, um, and focus a lot more on, you know, just being a brother. 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. So walk me through kind of um, what has happened from sort of the evolution of to now and, and since I met you, because I know a lot of really interesting things have happened, Shark Tank being one of them. So, you know, give us, give us the overview of how, you know, what has happened in the last few years, what have been the ups and downs, what have been the challenges? Sure. Um, hardware is really, really, really hard. It's really hard. Uh, and if I had known what I was getting myself into, I never would have done it. Um, so... I guess I met you at Bolt, so it was in the first six months, so I probably had like, I don't know, did I have a dog collar for you or did I have an alpha prototype for you? Do you remember? I don't think, I, I, I got to see like some 3D printing. I don't even know if you guys have a prototype yet. Got it. So basically, um, here's what happened. Now, let me see if we can do a quick summary of Pavlock. So started the idea, um, built it August August 2013, I got invested in to come, give me, I got, okay, so there was like a... Uh, an incubator called Bolt, you've seen it, um, where they help startup companies uh, make hardware products. And I was in their first class, and they had seven slots that they were going to invest $50,000 in. And six of the slots were like B2B companies, B2C companies, people with really big background and team and hardware, and medical company. And then they had one slot, which was the wild card. And I was the wild card. It was the dude who has no hardware experience, has a good idea, let's see what happens. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they invested in my idea. And so I came to live in um, Boston. um, And around that time, I met you. So the first step was, what the fuck is hardware? Like, how does this work? Like, it's it's easy, right? You just sit down, you make it, you're done. It doesn't work like that. (laughs) It doesn't work like that at all. Um, So basically, the first step for us was figuring out, for me, was figuring out what the heck I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was a basically understanding that hardware and particularly wearables is broken down into, you know, a bunch of parts, specifically software, which is, um, firmware plus iOS plus Android app plus web, um, 
Then it's also broken down into hardware, which is electrical engineering plus industrial design plus mechanical engineering. Um, and that's just to make a prototype. Um, from there, you have to get uh, customer service, fulfillment, shipping, manufacturing, support, customer support, um, and then a team to manage ops, right? So all these things take a long time. And um, I got lucky enough that my first and my original co-founder, uh, he was with us for about six months, got us from idea to prototype, but we couldn't afford him and he had a family. Uh, his name is Jim Lynch. He was the uh, original inventor of Lego Mindstorms. Mm-hmm. And he was the head of VP, he was the VP of engineering at the, uh, for the Roomba at iRobot. And uh, he taught me, he basically taught me that you can break down a new hardware product into two, like just the hardware side, so not the app side, into two parts. There's a uh, two prototypes. There's a looks like prototype and a works like prototype. The looks like prototype is supposed to be pretty and industrial designed and 3D printed. And the works like prototype is a big ass piece of green printed circuit board where you like plug things in and make sure everything works, right? And so our first step was to get those two things made. And I think this is one of my smartest decisions I ever made. My goal was to uh, create a dog, was to take the dog shot collar from that funny joke video and convert it into a smart Bluetooth wearable that could lock to your wrist and would help you stop doing your habits based on data. Right. And so uh, the first thing we did was break it down into what it looks like and works like. So the, the, um, the works like we broke into two parts, which was the knowns, that's the vibrating buzzer, the Bluetooth chip, and the unknowns, which is the zap, the thing that had never been invented or created before. And I took that zap and I said, instead of just making it cool or what, instead of just making it work, what if we made it a business card? What if we designed this to be like just Instead of being green, let's make it black. Let's make it sexy. And we did. And this became my calling card, a little shocking business card that when I met somebody, they'd grab it and they would understand the feeling. And um, so that was a really good decision because it really grabbed people's attention. Um, So once we got all these different components working, then we worked on trying to merge it. Big breakthrough here was that uh, I stopped raising money and I, I realized that we had to survive and that in order to survive, I would have to pull back on my vision of a locking wristband and focus just on the pure core of the device that zaps, vibrates, and beeps. And um, so that led to us creating this little wearable that the alpha was pretty big, and it looks like a giant wristwatch with a um, little cut lightning bolt. And we made 40 of these, and so what happened was this. We made 40 of these for this prototype, and then suddenly I look at my financial statement, and I'm like a week away from death. I mean, like I owe $20,000, and I have like 9,000 in my bank account, and uh, and uh, salaries are going to hit in two weeks. And so payroll. And so what I did was like, I was like, all right, I'm going to die. I have to sell these products, these 40 alpha units. And, um, everybody, everybody was like, you can't do that. Don't do that. You can't do that. It's a shock device. You don't have a UPC code. You haven't made sure that the FTC clearance is done. You know, da, 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 da. And I'm like, look guys, it doesn't matter. Cause if I don't do it, I'm dead. So I have to do it. And so what I did was I hosted a webinar where I announced for the first time the thing I'd been working on. And we ended up grossing $25,000 in pre-orders and uh, alpha sales from that one night webinar, Save the Company. And what was interesting about it was that um, those 40 customers who bought that alpha unit were the best customers ever because they paid real money. So when stuff didn't work, they told me. When it wasn't perfect, they told me. They were actual beta testers and not bullshit like ask your friends to try it out. 
beta testers. Mm-hmm. So that was going from, um, that was basically getting us to alpha shipment. Then what happened was we got to beta shipment and then there was, then there was a big shift of the company, a massive shift of the company. And that happened on October 31st, 2014, right in the middle of our first crowdfunding campaign. What happened was we had been running a crowdfunding campaign for this smart wearable device that zapped you when you did bad things. So it had to know when you did things. And we discovered a clinical trial on first, it was just one on smoking cessation. And there was a title of a type of therapy called aversion therapy, which was a method of creating a Pavlovian association to breaking bad habits, utilizing either a bad smell or an electric shock. You ever get really, maybe you or do you have any friends who ever gotten really drunk on a type of alcohol, often tequila, Mm -hmm. get sick and then never drink that drink again. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, totally. Tequila is that thing for me. (laughs) It is great. And if you imagine it right now or you smelled it, you would feel like right in the pit of your stomach is where you would feel that feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And if you you look in the brain, it's called, you can see that same feeling in the brain. It's called an aversion. And it's a one night, one time bad experience that suffers, that you suffer while you do something, uh, while you do a habit that make trains your reptile brain to like for to often permanently have a long lasting negative association towards that habit. Mm-hmm. And that was, so that was interesting in the first place. What was really interesting was the results. So you think about smoking, there's a this is the first study that, that I'm talking about was a study of 834 people who had gone through a quit smoking program. So if you think of uh, quitting smoking cold Turkey, 5% of people are successful at quitting smoking cold Turkey. If you were to use Nicorette patches, what would you guess the success rate is? Not too high. It's um, 7.5% effective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or the ads are amazing. 50% more effective than quitting cold turkey. Right? Mm-hmm. From 5 to 7.5. Meanwhile, and that's if you take it every day for six months. Meanwhile, aversion therapy in this study from the 80s showed that five days of therapy, which was about, which was basically the doctor would say, all right, bring the cigarette to your mouth and zap yourself. Bring the cigarette to your mouth and zap yourself and do that on repeat. You're going to want to put the cigarette down, but keep it going. So the punishment, so your brain starts to be trained at a year follow up. It led to greater than 50% of people had not touched a single cigarette after just five days. Mm-hmm. And that to me was mind boggling for two reasons. Number one, breaking bad habits that were self-administered was enormous. Number two, long lasting effects for things like smoking was even bigger. And I was blown, and and number three is that the product was like, that because of these studies, that study, there is, uh, it's already an FDA classification that without even having to do an FDA trial, you, uh, we're a class two medical device, which means that we have to show safety standards, but we don't have to run a full trial in order to be FDA cleared because the FDA is already cleared. Yeah. So that was like a big, big, big shift in the company where it's like, okay, wait, what if instead of about caring about what I care about, which is productivity and waking up early and being fit, um, what if instead I cared about what we're already successful at and can be successful at again, which is quitting bad habits. There's nothing in the world that helps you stop bad habits. So that became, uh, that became the big shift for our company where we focused instead, Pavlov became um, not the, the wearable that shocks you, but instead it was the wearable that helps you break bad habits. Mm-hmm. And 
we started testing and reproducing these studies. We reproduced one study where um, we took the same exact protocol uh, with UMass Boston. Out of eight people, six, six of them were smoke-free at a, a six-month follow-up, 75% cessation rate. Um, and so that became the big shift for the company. And I, I know I've gotten pretty deep on this part. Um, so that was 2014 we started the shift. All of 2015, we were a break bad habits device. Mm-hmm. Uh, towards, like, uh, we started, that was when, in September 2015, we filmed Shark Tank. Uh, Shark Tank was uh, not particularly <laughs> successful. I can talk about that if you want later. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, so what, what, what I realized was this. It's that, number one, um, people didn't believe it. The numbers were too good to be true. Mm-hmm. And also, you, you're supposed to press the button yourself. Uh, and it works better if you press the button. And people just didn't seem to believe it. Uh, number two, we started to see that people had, uh, well, number two was our software got better. So we started to get better at specific habits and a lot of people started asking us for an alarm clock app. So we made a simple alarm clock app, just zapped you at the time you're supposed to wake up. And that was a second humongous shift for our product because we got like 40 emails with the same words in it, which was, thank you so much. I used to be a night owl and now I'm a morning person. Those words over and over again. And I was like, whoa, that's pretty big because I've always been a morning person, so alarms didn't bother me. But these people were like sending us articles or sending us videos or sending us text about how they had been fired from every job because they just couldn't get out of bed or that they took sleeping pills and the sleeping pills held them back from getting up and Zap was the only thing that worked. And so what we did is um, we, in preparation for Shark Tank's airing in in May of 2016, We uh, launched a second crowdfunding campaign for a product called Shock Clock. And Shock Clock was uh, basically the same device, the same hardware as a Pavlock that was stripped of all the bad habit features and only had the alarm clock features. And we launched that on Indiegogo. And it actually did, it was more successful than our first one. Same hardware, limited, and it was upgradable in the future to the full Pavlock. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like the first one did $284,000. This one did $343,000. So that was a big shift. We started looking at the morning and the night and that the habits of your day are often formed by the habits of your sleep routine and your morning routine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from there we've been focused heavily and I can't, I mean, right now we're in the middle of an Indiegogo campaign. I don't know when this is going to go live, but, uh, right. it ends June 30th and, uh, we're launching Pavlock two in September, which is everything I've ever been trying, I've always been trying to make, which is the culmination of all of the, um, not just the sleep features, mm-hmm. not just the wake up features, not just the bad habits features, but it's a platform. It's like an app store within an app where we can release new apps that trigger haptic vibration behaviors, vibrations, beeps, and zaps, and new developers can write their own apps that integrate directly into our hardware to make it a platform for behavior change and not just our thoughts on what behavior change should be. So that's been like kind of the progress of the company um, up and towards right now where we're focused on the psychology and how we thought uh, we've gotten really good at positive reinforcement to help you. Like we've found that negative reinforcement and zap helps you start doing things, but positive reinforcement makes you stick to doing things mm-hmm. and that we com- combine the two both through touch and also through our in-app currency called volts where you earn points for doing healthy actions um, that become like a positive reinforcer. So that's kind of the progress of yeah. the story. 
Um, well, let's talk about the Shark Tank thing because I got to see that and I was like, wow, that was that was rough. Um, it was, I, and I remember you even mentioned it. Uh, you mentioned that Mark Cuban even referenced it. I think on how I uh, how I built this with Guy Raz. Tell me, yeah. tell me what the experience was like. Um, how did, more importantly, how did you know? Uh, how did you keep your confidence from being shaken by going through something so rough? Oh, my confidence was strengthened by that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because they were ridiculous. So, I mean, if you saw it, like, there's two class, there's two types of people who saw the show. Mm-hmm. There's the people who see the show. Okay, so here's what happens. Mark Cuban, I get on the show, and I assumed Mark Cuban was going to love it because he's like a tech guy, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm um, like, all right, make a wearable. It helps you break bad habits. Here's these stories. Here's a study we run. And then uh, he goes, and I gave him, and I gave him uh, this booklet of these 21 clinical trials that were effective for um, – that were, that were the basis of aversion therapy, why FDA is approved it, uh, approved the, the, the science. Our, our device is not, just to be clear, our device has not yet finished the process for the FDA clearance, so I'm not trying to say I'm a medical device. But um, I showed him the documents on the, uh, on the evidence behind aversion therapy, and he looks at it and he goes, and he just starts off within, within five, within seven minutes of the airing, within of talking, he's like, you're a con artist, you're trying to claim other people's studies as your own, you are a liar because you're lying and saying that you're using their studies. You have to run your own clinical trial. You're not allowed to talk about other studies. And I was like, wait, what? That, that's, that's not how science works. Like science is built on you finding studies that show how things work and you iterate upon those studies in order to move the world forward. And, and it was so shaken at that moment that it really set the stage for the rest of the, sh- the rest of the 45 minutes I was up there. And so the way I describe Shark Tank is this, um, you ever see Lion King? Yeah. So Mark Cuban is Mufasa. Mm-hmm. Mr. Wonderful is Scar. And the other three are hyenas. <laughs> <laughs> so they like, you can see if you watch it at the beginning, you'll see uh, Lori, her, her head is nodding positively. Um, Robert b- bites his nails and he looks at his nails and like, Mr. Wonderful is sitting there with his Mr. Burns fingers, like straight up scarring, seeing that he's that there's an opportunity. Then Mark Cuban goes crazy. And um, like, do you remember that part where he started calling me con artist? I, I vaguely remember it. I, I've seen the, the clip on YouTube. Do you remember like how, like, do you remember if you felt like, whoa, Manish is getting, this is crazy how fast he's attacking him. Or was it like, whoa. Mark Cuban's right. Maybe Manish is a con artist. Like, no, I, I mean, you, you really, I, I was kind of amazed at how brutal it was. Yeah, it was so brutal. And so what happened was, like, to me, I was like, wait, this is so obviously brutal. And he so obviously got a, the wrong foundational argument right here uh-huh. that whatever happens, like, I was like, I, I, I didn't feel uncomfortable. I mean, I felt like ADHD and distracted up there, but I didn't feel like, um... anyway, so... What happens is uh, Mark Cuban's like out. He didn't even try it. He didn't even felt his act. And then um, the other three are out. And then Mr. Wonderful's there waiting. He sees an opportunity. He waits. He um, offers me the amount of money I asked for. Uh-huh. But my biggest issue with him was that he was on camera saying that 3.5 billion people living on a dollar a day is a good thing for humanity. Uh-huh. There's a video. If you search 3.5 billion, Kevin O'Leary, you'll see it. Okay. And... Our product is not a profit. Our company is not a profit-driven company. Our company is a habit-driven company. My goal is to change the way that people act. My goal is to help people quit addiction. Yeah. If I have to give away my product for free, I will give away my product for free. But and and and, and to that end, Mr. Wonderful was not a good partner. In no way is he a good partner. And so I, I if you watch the show, 
and you watch it without like and try to rewatch it and like imagine that the sound effects aren't there and the zooming angles aren't there and you just hear the words that I say, I'm extremely polite. I'm like, Mr. Wonderful, I can't, I can't, I don't think, I don't, I mean, unfortunately, and I'm trying to just get the words out that I don't want to say yes, but they keep badgering me until I say, I'm not, I'm, I'm saying, Mr. Wonderful, I'm not going to take your deal. And he looks at me, I say, no, I say, I, I declined. And he looked at me, he's like, F you, you a-hole, F you, instantly. As soon as I said, I'm turning you down, he said, F you, you a-hole, F you. And I, my head gets shaken and I smile and I'm like, well, I'm I, obviously that's not a good partner. If you say something and he curses you out, like obviously it's not a good partner. The world will see that. I will come out as looking like a guy who's like, you know, good. And then they, then I saw the cut. <laughs> the way they cut the 45 minutes of the show down to seven minutes. Mm-hmm. And um, especially with the zooming angles and my weird facial expression. It's like, uh, they made me look like an asshole. And, uh, which is really like, not fair because I'm really trying to help people. And um, so what was interesting though was that there were, very, there were two very different schools of thought. Mm-hmm. And here was what happened. It was right after the show aired Less than an hour later, I had 39 fake one-star Amazon reviews. Wow. I went, I went from a um, 4.8-star product to a 2.9-star product, like overnight. And even till today, we can't get these things freaking removed. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, and it really shattered my, like, uh, it's like it shattered a lot of my own intrinsic thoughts about how about how human change happens. I don't know, that's a whole different depressing story, but like, um, you're asking about how did Shark Tank affect it. So what happened was, that happened, uh, we got two different, two very different schools of thought. You have one school of thought that's like, whoa, that guy's getting hammered, and science is science, why are you talking like, like Mark Cuban, whoa, what is going on with him today? And the other school of thought was, Mark Cuban says he's a con artist, therefore he's a con artist, therefore I'm gonna give him a one-star Amazon review, start writing death threats, and try to find his phone number, and call him, and then give him death threats to his, to his phone, to his, to, to his phone number, yeah. uh, which started happening a lot, like a lot. So me getting death threats over the last year became actually like, kind of fun. <laughs> I found some fun tricks to make him enjoyable. But I started getting, um, you know, I'd say about one to four death threats a day. So it started off being small, like kill yourself, uh, and then it got to be like, I'm going to kill you in your sleep on a phone call, right? It's kind of scary shit. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I found a really cool trick to make you stop calling, uh, which is probably not family friendly, so I just won't tell you. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, anyway, so what happened was uh, until until like probably like still till today, I get a couple every week or so, but it's like fine. So that was how the show. Uh, that's what happened with the show. But I realized that like, okay, so here's what happened. Uh, about a year and a half later. Mark Cuban was on NPR on how I built this uh-huh. and he talked about con artists and how like, if you're like Pavlock, you know, it's, he said my company's name on NPR. If you listen to the interviewer, yeah. the interviewer was like, super intrigued by the idea yeah. and Mark Cuban was talking about being a con artist. And then like, um, uh, like right after that, I think it was December or something last year, he was on a show on Access Hollywood, I think. Uh-huh. And he's like, you look at these con artists, you look at these con artists, like that guy, like, like Pavlok, like, like, like zapping yourself. Like I will nail your ass against a wall, <laughs> he says on TV. And I watched that video. It's at pavlok.com forward slash Mark Cuban. Uh-huh. Cracks me up because it's like, he's going to nail my ass against a wall, not to a wall but against a wall. <laughs> Is Mark Cuban giving me rape threats? Damn. So that made me crack up because instantly 
Well, within about four weeks, Dallas became our number number two best-selling city after New York. Dallas <laughs> is now still our number two best-selling city. So I am like excited because here's the thing. If my product was a, was a con or our product didn't work or we didn't have above 50% cessation rates and we hadn't sold 50,000 units and we hadn't helped so many people quit nail biting, quit smoking, quit uh, unhealthy eating, get over sugar, lose 20 pounds, get over PTSD in a few cases. It's insane. Uh, if it hadn't been for the fact that our product works, I would be decimated and destroyed. But because our product actually works, I can't wait to make to see when he gets mad at me again because I know he's going to have to get over it at some point. It's almost like if you're on Shark Tank and like imagine if like Mark Zuckerberg came on to Shark Tank like a few like a, a decade ago and he's like I've got this idea for a social network that's going to like connect kids and help them make, become friends and they're like that's a stupid idea. We already have Friendster. That's a stupid idea. We already have it. Who would ever want to use that? Like that would be like, I feel like it's like uh, part of the story of our company. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's part of our, um, I'm always going to be hated by these initial viewers, but the, I get these messages every day on our Facebook bot. And it's like, I start talking to the users who start at these, like you're stupid, you're a con artist. And I start talking to them and I'm like able to convert trolls into buying the product about half the time. Hmm. which I think is pretty cool. And on top of that, I think that like, I, I think it'll be, I, mean, I think it'll be part of the storyline. Uh, I'll probably and likely do another episode on Shark Tank. Uh, and I think it'll be a really, really interesting, um, you know, part of our journey. Very, very cool. Uh, this has been really fascinating. So I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews with the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? How do you define unmistakable? That's really up to you. How, or say the question again. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Something very distinctive. Something very clear. I I, I think of it in terms of remarkable. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I define and remarkable, and remarkable is one of our core values of the company. Um, I define remarkable is something that's worth being remarked about. Mm-hmm. It's something that it's uh, it's something that's interesting with a twist, and I, I mean that in the sense of it's interesting to have someone sit down next to you and watch you while you do your work. It's unmistakable or remarkable when that person also slaps you because you don't do it. I feel like it's, it's, um, it's normal to get a personal trainer and it's weird to get a personal coach, but it's unmistakable to get a personal coach who can see what you're doing and be able to zap you if you're not doing it. Um, and I feel like that all, all the way since I was a kid, it was that small little twist at the end. It's taking what's interesting with a twist mm-hmm. and that's what makes things unmistakable. Awesome. Uh- well, where can people learn more uh, about Pavlock? Sure, go to pavlock.com. Uh, will this go live before the end of the month or will it be in like a few months? Uh, it'll be about two weeks. Okay, so if it's after, whatever, go to pavlock.com forward slash unmistakable and uh, I'll put up some, some stuff about really cool information. Also, oh yeah, cool new thing. We have an app now that you don't need a Pavlock for to get started on breaking habits. So if you go to the Pavlock, if you go to the App Store on iOS or Android, download the Pavlock Core app and listen to the intro course, and we'll teach you how to break bad habits and how this whole thing works with uh, just a uh, rubber band. So, pavlock.com forward slash unmistakable, or just go to the app store and download the Pavlock Core app. 
Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. 
Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.